We're starting this episode of This Week in the CLE with a story you could only read on Cleveland.com and in the Plain Dealer for about 12 hours. We got a big jump on the competition. It's the news podcast from Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with editors Chris Warnowski and Jane Cahoon. Laura Johnston is off for the next week. Happy Friday at last. Good morning. Yay. We got some great stuff to talk about, so <laughs> let's go right to it. What is the Ohio House hiding from the public and criminal investigators on the $60 million first energy bribery scheme by claiming records that the FBI subpoenaed are privileged? Chris Ranowski, this boggled my mind. We got a huge dump of records, 1.6 gigabytes of documents that had been subpoenaed by the FBI and were turned over. And jumping out in there is a spreadsheet with the stuff they're claiming is privileged, stuff they're keeping secret from the FBI and the public. I can't believe they're doing it. It's like chum in the water for sharks. And we're the sharks. So what, what's this about? Right. So it, as you said, we, we got a ton of documents yesterday that some of the reporters were reading well into the night and thousands of pages of stuff. But it, what stood out was this little spreadsheet. It was, I think it had privilege in the name of it. And so, you know, in looking at it, uh, we all kind of just decided, okay, we, we, we need to explain that there are things here that they are not giving to the public. And what was really interesting is we found out they're not giving them to the FBI either, which is not, you know, there might be a logical reason for it, but it's not normal. Like usually when a subpoena comes, you get, they get what they want. And the, the list of withheld documents includes email correspondence between house attorneys, Heather Blessing, Paul DeSantis, and several lawmakers including House Bill 6 sponsor, state reps, uh, Jamie Callender and Shane Wilkin. So the email includes like possible amendments and other documents pertaining to the bill that Governor DeWine signed into law uh, last July that served as a lifeline for two nuclear power plants that were sort of failing. And okay, but but so 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 they're claiming two kinds of privilege, right? One's with lawyers, and one's with the Legislative Service Commission, the nonpartisan thing that helps them draft legislation. Right, and that's a legitimate privilege. You you know, if the FBI comes after you, and there are things that are just communication between you and your attorney, you can you can. It's not automatic, but mm-hmm. you can say that's between me and my attorney. You can't have it. What's mind boggling about this is this is the biggest scandal in the history of Columbus. Right. And everybody is looking at this, wondering who else is going to fall. I'm stunned that Jamie Callender would have multiple email communications in there that are being held back because that seems to say I got something I got to hide. And what could you want to hide for a bill that was passed more than a year ago? Um, one of the people we talked to was Catherine, uh, Catherine Terser, who is the executive director of Common Cause Ohio. And, and she kind of echoed what you were saying that there, there's something very odd about withholding information about House Bill 6 is what she said. And, and she said that, you know, that documents about the creation of a law uh, should be a matter of public record. And, and I think when we talked about this yesterday, I, when we were shaping this story, you know, y- you had pointed out that there may be a point in that process where you could make an argument that documents related to crafting legislation might be privileged and might be 
well, but this this bill, I mean, this is law and it's long past. And yeah, and the so, point the point being, you're negotiating, right? right? You're going back and forth, and somebody wants something, you want something else, and you don't know, want them to know what questions you're asking lawyers then because it gives up your position. That's all fine until DeWine signs it, right? right. And then after that, who cares? Yeah. So I, I guess between you and me and everybody who's listening, I, you know, what happens now? I, I don't know. I, you know, if does the FBI make a case for these these records? Does this, you know, it, I'm not really even sure what happens next. So I mean, well, do you have any sense of that? Or Jane, well, do you have the, any sense of the, that? The, the, I think the House, the, the people whose names are on the documents that are being kept secret are in the hot seat now. And so mm-hmm. They can waive the privilege. They could say, look, look, give it away. If they don't, it just raises many, many, many more questions about what they're up to. What You know, what surprises me is there, there's a, a, a guy in Cleveland named Bruce Hennis, a public relations expert who specializes and has specialized. He, he worked, he's worked with our former Plain Dealer editor, uh, managing editor, Tom Flatting. He specializes in helping people get through crises like this. Right. And his basic message is <laughs> just give it up. Yeah. You know, give it up. Be honest. Be straightforward. Don't play games. This is the red flag to the bull. I mean, if the FBI didn't know what those documents were before, they're going to have a beat on them now because the, the first question you ask is, what could you be hiding yeah, I, I just want to mark on the calendar that you said something good about public relations today. So <laughs> that's a landmark thing. Could, could um, I jump in here for a moment? Yeah, this is Jim Cahoon. Uh, you know, there is now an effort to repeat or, you know, repeal this law in the legislature now that everybody's been shamed by the corrupt way in which it was apparently passed. And so they want to do like some kind of replacement. They haven't given up on the thought of still providing this nuclear bailout. So I just wonder if some of those withheld documents, you know, would they feel would uh, jeopardize their position on a new bill? Who knows? But but think about it, Jane. Think about the the pluses and the pros and cons here. The, the keeping something secret so you can negotiate a future thing against the incredible outrage of keeping things secret. I mean, these people are on the ballot for November for re-election. If I were running against one of them, this would become my campaign. Do you really want somebody <laughs> who is interfering with the FBI trying to get to the bottom of the most embarrassing scandal in the history of the state? Because that's what this is doing. You're impeding the investigators from getting to the bottom of this scandal and weeding out all of the corruption that was involved in it. And that that's why this is so striking to me. This is, you know, the I mean, we represent the public. We want to see the documents. We want to tell the story. But the prosecutor's office and the FBI is charged with cleaning this up these 30 documents are getting in the way of that. And so we'll see how much outrage comes out about it. We're, we've certainly done our part to make sure people are aware of it. I think Chris Warnowski picked up on something here in that um, you maybe have a future in crisis communications or political. <laughs> <consulting, Chris. laughs> it, rather... it sounded to me like he was priming himself to run against one of these people. But... Yeah. yeah <laughs> I got to tell you guys. I'd rather create the crisis by by publicizing the information, which our team did really well. You're listening to This Week in the CLE.
What did we learn from what appears to be a very sleazy poll conducted as part of the corrupt effort to force Ohioans to subsidize First Energy's aging nuclear plants? Jane Kuhn, this was part of the gigantic records dump we got mid-afternoon yesterday, all the records that were subpoenaed by the FBI from the House. There's 1.6 gigabytes and a million folders. And, and buried in there was this poll that was quite revealing for all sorts of reasons. So kind of take us through what it is, what it was used for, and how it may have been uh, altered. Yeah, basically, it, it tells us a bit about the, the strategy and messaging of the pro-House Bill 6 forces, you know, that that not only, you know, pushed this bill through, but mounted in a, a really aggressive campaign to thwart an attempt to repeal it. And as we know, federal authorities now say that that campaign was was bankrolled with with dark money controlled by Larry Householder, who's under indictment now, as we know, for this alleged $60 million bribery scheme. But anyway, at the time of this poll, which was in September last year, opponents of HB6 were trying to put a repeal uh, on the on the ballot before Ohio voters collecting signatures and so forth, and as as that was going on, the this campaign to block that I mentioned this aggressive campaign to block the referendum was inundating Ohioans with these misleading, scary uh, mailers and ads that warning people if they signed a repeal petition that they were going to open the door to. Chinese interests having control over power plants. So that's kind of <laughs> which, the, <yeah. laughs> which we, we, we should say that was preposterous and sleazy and everybody knew it at the time. These heavy handed, the postcards were red and gloomy and made it right. sound like China was invading Ohio. Right, right. And then just to complicate things further, Representative Jamie Callender, who's a Lake County Republican who sponsored HB6, and he was also part of Householders faction of supporters in the in the House, he was pushing in the legislature for this constitutional amendment that would prohibit foreign ownership of Ohio power plants. So, I mean, the people who were pushing the repeal of the bailout said this is just to confuse people, and and it's basically a solution in search of a problem. But to go back to the poll. Calendar and another lawmaker used the results of this poll to not only show support for House Bill 6, but, you know, what they called strong public sentiment against foreign ownership of utilities, which, as I said, the the opponents of HB 6 considered basically a phony issue. But um, if you look at some of the questions in this poll, you can kind of see how they got the responses that they they wanted. They, they asked people like, how important was it to save these nuclear power plants from shutting down? Um, but they failed to mention that, you know, this whole plan put a new surcharge on customers and basically killed the green energy standards. It was just, you know, how important do you think it is to save these uh, plants. And so they got some support for that. And then similarly, they asked a question about this whole foreign ownership issue. And they kind of set the stage by by saying, you know, for more than 60 years, no foreign investor may have ownership in U.S. nuclear power plants, yet foreign countries and foreign investors may own American natural gas processing plants, water treatment facilities, power plants, and wind and solar energy facilities. And then they said, do you believe that a foreign investor, you know, 
should should have control over these things, over these vital, you know, public services. And um, not surprisingly, they got a large level of support uh, against the foreign right. ownership thing. So the, wor- the wording is so heavy handed. You know, we've been involved. We've worked pretty closely with Baldwin Wallace University on a number of polls and to, and to watch data scientists painstakingly word questions so as not to to sway the answer to try and get a true sentiment from people and they put a lot of work into it and they're very skilled at what they do it's it's always eye-opening to see how they do that this is the complete opposite it's like <laughs> don't you think the china should never own anything and then they went into the legislature right and in Seth Richardson's story today, he shows how they use the results. Yeah, they testified. The process. Right. And, you know, I mean, I don't think anything ever came of that uh, foreign ownership uh, amendment. But but we do know the the attempt to repeal House Bill 6 got crushed. Uh, but, uh, you know, part of this, I think, was just like testing out their messaging on this whole China thing. And, well, and, and didn't it show that wasn't there something that showed that between the before they started their messaging and after they started their yeah. messaging, there was a shift? I believe they asked that same question twice, I think once in August and once in September. And there was something like a 10 point shift after they put all these um, mailers and ads out there, the scary so, ads. The moral of the story is, is if First Energy spends enough money on sleazy advertising, they can shift public opinion. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening listening (laughs) this week in the CLE. Why does a prominent Cleveland attorney say Cleveland City Council is seeking to intimidate a group representing Cleveland public power customers? Chris Ranowski, the the Cleveland City Council is about to do something it almost never does, which is hold a formal hearing and subpoena witnesses and do all compel testimony to find out if First Energy or others tried to unfairly kill Cleveland public power. One of the groups they're going after, though, is saying it's unfair. So what do we know about that? Right. So uh, Cleveland attorney Sabod Chandra, who, if you pay attention to the courts around here, uh, is a, is a pretty pretty prominent attorney, as you described him in your run up to this. He he sent a letter to a bunch of the city council members yesterday, complaining about the fact that this investigation might like look at his clients in the advocacy organization for Cleveland Public Power. This is kind of complicated because the city council basically said, like, look, we're, we need we need some answers to see if if this entire householder, this House Bill six investigation, you know, adversely affected Cleveland public power, which the city has oversight over. And as part of this, this this advocacy group, which is called what is it called? It's like Citizens Against I can't forget it's it's, yeah. So it has, you know, it has one of those sort of like do good or mission kind of consumers against deceptive fees. And, and, and this investigation might include a a look into um, how they were kind of brought into the fold to basically advocate a position uh, against first energy. So, so what we, what we have here is Sabod Chandra basically saying, you know, you were unfairly targeting this this consumer group that actually predates the the householder 
investigation. It predates House Bill Six. This was this this organization was designed basically to be kind of a watchdog group of Cleveland and what it considers the city's kind of inept management of Cleveland public power. And and that is something that that Chandra points out. Uh, a lot right. in this that that we we actually have a use and and he he kind of accused the city council of trying to silence consumers through intimidation and heavy-handed tactics he look he has a very good point when he says where has city council been with cleveland public power cleveland, right. there are a lot of people that believe cleveland public power can't survive because they haven't invested in infrastructure in a long time probably 20 years and they can't compete on the energy market because they signed all these contracts, long-term contracts for expensive energy. Mm-hmm. And so their future is in peril and city council has done nothing to talk about that. There's just, there's been no oversight. So when Chandra says, wait a minute, you're coming after this group that's trying to put some oversight on Cleveland public power and attack them as somehow anti Cleveland and you haven't even done your job. It's a good point. Kevin Kelly did acknowledge He's aware of the many problems Cleveland Public Power has, but that he's going to continue with this hearing. I'm excited about the hearing because I think it could reveal even more about the way First Energy has used its muscle and its money to exert influence in the state's energy policy. So I'm looking forward to what they get. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this group. It's this week in the CLE. What was ousted House Speaker Larry Householder's major snub of a predecessor, Joanne Davidson, and how has that snub now been undone? Jane Cahoon, this is kind of a fun story, and, and it's and it's actually good to hear that Joanne Davidson is being restored. But take us through what petty act Larry Householder did to cause this and how it's been fixed. Yes, I agree. It was a really fun story by Andrew Tobias. Joanne Davidson, first of all, was the first female speaker of the House. She's highly respected, even revered in the Ohio Republican Party establishment. She's she's a national Republican committee woman, and she was chosen to co-chair the Committee on Arrangements for the Republican National Convention in Cleveland in 2016. Anyway, there was a portrait of her that was commissioned and completed several years ago, and they hung it in the Ohio House chambers. But then the history of this is there was some bad blood between her and Larry Householder, and it had to do with when Joanne Davidson was was stepping down and she had a preferred successor. And Larry Householder, this was his first run at being speaker, and he aggressively kind of rolled over what, you know, her her sort of intended plans for this, you know, that's just kind of the short version of it. But anyway, and then there was another incident where where this bad blood surfaced at this convention that Joanne Davidson played such a key role in, where they picked Larry Householder to record a speech about Bob Bennett and George Voinovich, uh, the, who, who both had died, Bob Bennett being the former um, party chairman. And uh, we all know who George Voinovich is, former U.S. Senator, governor and mayor. And she was very close to both of those men. So this was regarded as just a major snub of her. So anyway, when Householder came back a second time and ascended again to the speaker's job, which federal authorities say he did in a corrupt way, he twisted the knife a little bit more by by removing or having Davidson's portrait removed from the House chambers and moved to the ladies gallery. 
It's uh, so small-minded. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a small-minded <laughs> thing to do. And you have the power. And and to go and, and take that shot, it's just, it's, it's just a low thing to do. Not a surprise by Householder. But, so, right. so how's it, how's it been so fixed? The turnabout is that Householder, we know, has now been indicted and kicked out of the speaker's job. And we have a new speaker, Bob Cup, who you know, went ahead and decided to do the right thing and have the portrait moved back to the chambers. So people who are big fans of Joanne Davidson are delighted. And, uh, you know, they see her almost as a legend in Ohio government and politics. So they they believe she's regained her right, or at least her portrait has regained its rightful place in the chambers. Okay, very cool. It's this week in the CLE. Why did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine pay tribute to what appears to be a Lakewood homicide victim in the governor's coronavirus briefing on Thursday? Chris Ranaski, this one surprised me because I had seen the story about the death, but I had not realized what the, the guy's role was in the state. So take us through that. Yeah, this was a it was a an attention grabbing moment in a part of the briefing that usually is, is not the most interesting part because he's usually, <laughs> he's usually talking about his ties, and, you know? And, and so it took me a second to realize like, Oh, he's talking about this, this homicide that we had been writing about uh, that had happened in Lakewood. Um, so there was a 80 year old man who was found dead outside of his home and the governor paid tribute to him because he, had worked for a long time as a physician with the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. His name is uh, Craig Cullen Terzano, and he is a retired U.S. Army veteran. He graduated from Harvard and UCLA, and and so he he paid tribute to him uh, at the beginning of the of the briefing yesterday, saying, you know, I'm told that his work worth ethic work ethic and dedication to his job. And the people was unparalleled. Our deep and deepest condolences go out to his loved ones and those who work with him. Um, so he he apparently uh, he lived in Lakewood, but he would commute uh, to his job at the Corrections Reception Center in Orient, uh, which is a state prison there for men that has about fifteen hundred people. Um, and and he he the story is is there's still a lot of holes. Like po- police have not released a lot of information about what they think has happened, but he was found about 1115 Wednesday night in uh, outside of his home on Clifton Boulevard, just south of Lakewood Park. And an unidentified person had called police to check on his welfare and they found him outside. And, and then he ended up passing away in the ambulance outside the house. And, um, the uh, Lakewood police and West West force uh, West shore enforcement SWAT team uh, took uh, someone into custody early Thursday morning after a five hour standoff. They have not released any additional information about him, uh, what they believe have happened or, you know, if, and when any charges are going to be filed. So we're going to be, uh, you know, we're, we're still sort of knocking on doors and, and doing some reporting on this story. So hopefully we'll be able to shake a little more loose, uh, today and find out exactly what happened. Well, you know, a lot of people are called devoted public servants, but somebody that drives two hours each way to get to the job to do the public service, that's pretty devoted. You're listening to this week in the CLE.
What's the new campaign to get rid of Sam Randazzo as head of the Ohio Public Utilities Commission because of ties to First Energy, the source of the cash, and what federal investigators call a $60 million bribery scheme? Sam Randazzo's name keeps popping up, Jane. I've been wondering since this whole scandal broke whether there'd be a move to get him kicked out of there. He's the guy that Mike DeWine nominated for the job. What's the latest? The latest is that a a group called the Ohio Consumers Power Alliance, which is a, a project of Ohio Citizen Action, which is a left-leaning grassroots group, is trying to get rid of Sam Randazzo. They've got a, a website that urges people to write to Governor DeWine and say, uh, get rid of him. He's too cozy with First Energy and other utilities. He's a longtime opponent of renewable energy standards. Um, and he, he happens to be in a very powerful position. He's, you know, the chairman of the PUCO and they oversee utility re, uh, regulation and rate setting. And he also heads up, uh, or he's, he's, he's on the, um, Ohio Power Siting Board and they can influence statewide energy development by, you know, they have the power to approve or reject various projects, you know. Well, they're the ones that threw the wrench into the works on the uh, The Lake Erie wind turbines, which, you know, that doesn't help First Energy, and First Energy probably opposes. Right. Um, But this group is pointing to Randazzo's previous career where he lobbied and was an attorney for the industrial energy users. And they also point out that when First Energy subsidiary, then called First Energy Solutions, declared bankruptcy in 2018. Two companies that Randazzo owned were listed as creditors. So they are saying he is tied to First Energy and he needs to go. He wouldn't comment on this effort. But, you know, the director of this group trying to get rid of him said that it's going to be impossible for Ohioans to have a conversation about energy policy and and where our sources of energy, what our sources of energy should be with him in charge. Mike DeWine took a stand? He stands by him. That's pretty much how he summed it up. For now, we'll have to see if that continues. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. Is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine going to cancel fall high school sports? Chris Ranowski, Mike DeWine in his briefing yesterday didn't fully address high school sports, but as he usually does when he's going to make a big announcement, he previewed it. He says the announcement will come Tuesday, but he pretty much let the cat out of the bag. What can we expect? Yeah, I think he kind of does this to to see if it's going to create outrage or not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it really does seem like that sometimes, but he 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 said that he is going to announce next week uh, whether or not uh, – fall contact sports will be allowed but he he did he did kind of drop a pretty big hint that that it's probably going to happen and by saying that this is a decision made by parents this is a decision that's going to be made by the schools uh teams across the state have been practicing this month in multiple sports but some districts have kind of opted against allowing sports teams to work out you know like for example like Cuyahoga County uh some districts are are complying with the County Board of Health's recommendation not to conduct sports at this time, but some have changed course and allowed their teams to begin to practice. So um, there are already some low and non-contact sports uh, that are, you know, are perfectly okay uh, and have been for a while. I, I think Houston has, 
you know, who has sort of taken the ball and run with it, no pun intended, you know, has, has been talking about low uh, non-contact sports for a while. Um, but football and other contact sports, which are insanely popular in the state, obviously have been stuck in the kind of limbo throughout the summer, wondering, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to play. So, so this should, this should make a lot of young football players happy. Yeah, but you you talk about how this is a, a state crazed for it, but it, he also hinted that you won't be able to watch it, or you know maybe yeah. he creates a limit where only the parents of the kids can come. But he made pretty clear that that you're going to have to catch most people at least will have to catch up with the games through other means, which you know which you get because if you get a bunch of people in the stands, it violates the the gathering rule that he's put in, but yeah, he pretty much laid everything out. So when he comes back next Tuesday, it'd be interesting to see if there's anything additional. You're right. I, you, he does seem to do this to see if people are going to push back or if doctors are going to come out of the woodwork. It's a, it's actually a smart move. The house might've considered that tactic before deciding to claim privilege on the documents that have been released because they're got to get bitten hard by the community outrage. It's this week in the CLE. All right, that's going to do it for a week, guys. This has been good. Next week, we still have no Laura. Maybe we'll have a couple of guests on, different people based on the news like we did yesterday with Mike Norman. That was kind of fun. Hope you have a good weekend. Hope we get some good weather. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. We will return on Monday. 